Kuzangpa everyone, welcome to the third episode of the Rigs podcast. I am your host Sonam Yangden. We are honored and privileged to present a trilogy series of a talk on the institution of the Bhutanese monarchy by Dr. Dr. Sonam Kinga, especially curated to commemorate the momentous 113th National Day of Bhutan. The first episode of this series will provide a comparative analysis of Bhutan's monarchy vis-a-vis other monarchies and similar establishments around the world. Dasha provides a scholarly perspective on what makes us unique, one-of-a-kind monarchy in the world, and where we stand today as a nation. We have come a long way, from a monastic government in the 17th century under Shabdungawa Namgyal to the historic establishment of the hereditary monarchy with the enthronement of Gonsa Ugyawanchu as the first king of Bhutan on December 17, 1907. A hundred years later, the world witnessed yet another unprecedented event in history as Bhutan transitioned to a democratic constitutional monarchy in 2008. As some observers say, the monarchs in Bhutan persuaded and convinced people to accept democracy. Such a profound level of trust and faith between the monarchs and the people is a special blessing that perhaps only Bhutanese can comprehend and cherish. The burgeoning trust, love and unwavering faith and respect by Bhutanese people of all generations is a testament to the selfless service and leadership of the successive sovereigns of the Wangchuk dynasty. We are very honored to have the highly distinguished public servant and scholar Dr. Dr. Sonam Kinga spare his valuable time to be with us to share his perspectives on a subject that is very dear to every Bhutanese, the institution of monarchy. Tashu currently works for the Gelsung at the Royal Research and Advisory Council and is also a faculty member at Rix. Kuzambola, I am delighted to be contributing to this Rigs initiative on a program series about our cherished institution of monarchy as we build up towards the celebration of 113 national day this year i would like to thank rigs for this opportunity and i would like to preface my talk by expressing my deep sense of conviction about the centrality of bhutanese monarchy in the life of our nation and it being a synonym for the country's survival modernity and prosperity in this talk my intent will be to develop a sense of where we stand today as a kingdom as a monarchy among the global community of nations and societies drawing from my ongoing research work on buddhist kingship and modern monarchy I am going to use a comparative method in arriving at this sense of where we stand today as a kingdom as a monarchy. Let me begin by drawing your attention to the map of the world which usually categorizes countries either into republics or monarchies. Of course this binary distinction between monarchy and republics do not mean that there are no other form of socio-political organization but let's use this as a heuristic framework 
for this talk. Among the 206 countries in the world, there are about 44 monarchies. Among the 44 monarchies, we have the Queen of the United Kingdom also presiding over as the head of states of 15 other countries, despite being sovereign and independent. So actually we are talking about 29 countries who have their own monarchs as heads of states. I think about 16 countries refer to their monarchs as kings, two queens, three as prince. If you look at the principalities of Monaco, Liechtenstein and Andorra in Europe, their monarchs are referred to as prince. We have a grand duke in the duchy of Luxembourg. We have a president in the United Arab Emirates, despite being a monarch, an emperor in Japan, and then we have emirs and sultans. So the titles are also suggestive of the socio-cultural and religious background of monarchies in these respective countries. Let me draw your attention to a second important point. Where are these monarchies located? Twelve monarchies are in Europe among the 50 countries there. Three in Africa among 54 countries. Seven in the Middle East among 16 countries. And four in Southeast Asia among eight countries. We have six more monarchies in Oceania. And it is difficult for most people to believe that there can be monarchies in the Americas. But there are ten monarchies including Canada. Then in South Asia, we are the only one. What we find out from the geographic distribution of monarchies around the globe is that most of the monarchies belong to either a group or a cluster, as in Europe, as in Africa, Middle East, Southeast Asia, Americas, except for Bhutan and Japan. So this is one way to think about where we are in terms of our geographic positioning. Bhutan is also a member of the United Nations and membership to the United Nations provides another mode of thinking about ourselves in comparison to other monarchies. On September 21, 1971, when we became a member of the UN, two other monarchies, Bahrain and Qatar, also became UN members on the same day. So we share our official birthdays as members of UN. Bhutan, Qatar, and Bahrain. Then the Kingdom of Oman and the United Arab Emirates also joined the UN in the same year but in October and December respectively. In 1984, Brunei joined and four other monarchies joined in 1990s. Three monarchies joined UN in 1960s, six in 1950s, and nine in 1940s. Now, monarchies are said to constitute less than 14% of members in the United Nations. Among the monarchies, in terms of geographic area, Bhutan is the 16th smallest and in terms of population, it is 22nd smallest. When we look at the political map of the world, we should not be misled into thinking that other kinds of or types of monarchies do not exist elsewhere. Now I draw your attention to a third important point 
in my talk the existence of subnational or non sovereign monarchies i'm talking about monarchies which are not sovereign but are in political association with a country which may be a republic or a monarchy in other words you have republics you have monarchies and in some of these republics and monarchies you also have monarchies within them whether we look at europe africa or asia examples are a plenty so we can talk about bhutan just being one among hundreds of sovereign as well as non sovereign monarchies let me cite the example of monarchies within republics first and then monarchies within monarchies second start in europe france is a republic france has an overseas territorial possession in the pacific known as the islands of wallis and futuna it is a self governing entity in association with the french republic so it has a president it also has a parliament but mind you that there are three traditional kingdoms of wallis and futuna and the kings or chiefs of these three traditional kingdoms are member of the executive branch of that self governing council so you have the french republic and within it the three traditional kingdoms of wallis and futuna let's look at africa in fact african continent has hundreds of traditional non-sovereign monarchies south africa a republic had 13 traditional kingdoms six of them have been derecognized by the constitution while seven of them continue to be regarded as lawful entities under the south african constitution let's look at asia the republic of indonesia 34 provinces one of the provinces yogyakarta is a type of a monarchy where the governor the chief executive is based on hereditary succession compared to 33 other provinces we can talk about the united arab emirates which is a monarchy it consists of seven emirates seven provinces so each of this province is an emirate a monarchy they are in a union forming the united arab emirates so seven monarchies within a monarchy or seven emirates within the united arab emirates the other example is that of new zealand new zealand regards the queen of the united kingdom as its head of state within new zealand is the maori kingdom and the present maori king is the seventh in line of the traditional dynasty what i have said is that there are subnational or non sovereign monarchies within sovereign republics or sovereign monarchies let me go back to a point i mentioned earlier when i was talking about representation in the united nations generally it's said to reiterate that monarchies constitute less than 14% of members in the un but in the united nation peoples are represented by way of their countries some countries are republics but people living in the subnational or non sovereign monarchies of those republics are also represented in the united nations so therefore if we factor in people who organize themselves socio politically 
as monarchy despite being non-sovereign and despite being sub-national but because they are represented in the UN peoples under a monarchy directly in terms of sovereign monarchies or republics or indirectly as sub-national are represented in the UN and therefore they would constitute much more than the 14%. The fourth point that I want to talk about in this episode is the idea that Bhutan is the only kingdom in South Asia. Before 1907, when Bhutan was a monastic regime, not a monarchy yet, we were surrounded by polities which were monarchical in character. Take Sikkim for example, or Nepal, or Mustang, or further west, Ladakh. In the south, Bhutan's historical neighbors were the kingdoms of Koch Hago in Assam and Koch Bihar in today's Bengal area, which split from the larger Kamrup kingdom. We had relations with Koch Bihar, the Narayan dynasty, and with the Ahom dynasty. These kingdoms later became principalities under the British Empire in India. We have chosen to become a monarchy in 1907. In the last century also, most of our neighbors have abolished their monarchical form of political establishment and became republics. So history has moved in different directions. We have chosen to abolish a monastic regime and become a monarchy whereas our neighbors have become republics by abolishing their monarchies. But there is an interesting take. Although we are a small kingdom surrounded by large republics today, we see that the key principle of monarchy which is hereditary succession, family succession and political dynasties have not been abolished in these republics. In other words, monarchies have been abolished in these republics but the monarchic tenet of succession either by heredity or family and establishing as political dynasties have been reformulated and recast in the new democratic politics of these republics. Let us look at India first. For most part of India's independence, it has been governed by the Nehru Gandhi family. That's at the national level. We also look at the states and we find the Gogois in Assam, the Yadavs in Bihar and Uttar Pradesh and the Badals in Punjab. If you look at Nepal, the Koirala family has established itself as a prominent political family. Three brothers and a cousin of the Koirala family have served as prime ministers. In Bangladesh, Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina, her father, Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, had also served as the president. On the other side of political spectrum, we have Begum Khalidi Zia, who had served twice as prime minister, and her late husband, Zeur Rahman, had also served as the president. Although the titles like Begum and Sheikh are honorary in referring to women of aristocratic noble families, they also suggest something of a royalty. In Sri Lanka, we have the Bandaranaik and the Rajapaksa families. So, it is not just in South Asia. If we even look at the United States, you have the Kennedys, the Clintons, the Bushes, and possibly the Trumps. In Russia, monarchy was abolished in 1917. 
but we have seen phenomenon of para royalty emerge in successive leaders in Russia. My point is, although Bhutan is the only kingdom in South Asia, we are surrounded by republics where the monarchic principle of succession by hereditary or family and political dynasties have not been abolished. They have been re-articulated in a different mode using political parties and elections as democratic institutional means. When I make this comparison of Bhutan as a monarchy surrounded by democratic republics where political dynasties proliferate, I do not intend any judgment, political or otherwise. I am simply making a comparison about the kinds of political establishments that have developed. Let me talk about Bhutan as a Buddhist kingdom. And this is another way to think about where we are today. Among the 44 monarchies, there are only three Buddhist kingdoms. In fact, there are no Hindu kingdoms in the 44 monarchies. We have Islamic, Christian, Shintoist as in Japan, but we do not have a Hindu kingdom. The last one was Nepal, which became a republic in 2008. Three Buddhist kingdoms, Bhutan, Cambodia and Thailand. When I say a country is Buddhist, I am referring to the predominantly existing Buddhist faith, which is also practiced by the majority of the population in these countries, and by extension, their culture, value system, and many sociocultural institutions would have been influenced by Buddhism, as we see in Bhutan. Then there is also the constitutional and legal provisions regarding Buddhism, as much as there are provisions regarding kingship and monarchy in these countries. The constitution of Cambodia states that Buddhism is the state religion, whereas the Bhutanese and the Thai constitutions do not do that. The Thai and the Bhutanese constitutions state that the kings shall be Buddhists, which is not the case in Cambodia, although the present Cambodian king is a monk. The Thai constitution states that it will be the responsibility of the Thai state to protect and promote Buddhism, whereas the Bhutanese constitution reposes the responsibility of protecting and promoting Buddhism to religious personalities and practitioners. The association of a religion to a monarch is not specific to Buddhist kingship alone. Let's take the example of Norway. In Norway, the king's religion has to be evangelical Lutheran, which is also the official religion. If you look at Morocco, the king's faith has to be Islamic. He must belong to the family of Muhammad VI and be a member of the Alawid dynasty. Likewise, the king of Qatar has to be a Muslim and belong to the Al-Thani family. The Thai constitution, as I said, does not state that Buddhism is the state religion, but it requires the state to direct its assistance only to Theravada Buddhism and that the government must guard Buddhism against all form of desecration. In Bhutan, 
we regard Buddhism as a spiritual heritage. Whether it's in Cambodia, Thailand or Bhutan, the kings are also the protectors of all other faiths. So when we say these are Buddhist kingdoms, they are not at the exclusion or marginalization of people of other faiths. Bhutan is one of the three Buddhist kingdoms, but also one of the seven Buddhist countries. I am talking about Mongolia, Laos, Sri Lanka and Myanmar. The Laotian constitution requires the state to protect and respect all lawful activities of the Buddhist and of followers also of other religions. The Sri Lankan constitution gives Buddhism a foremost place. The Myanmar constitution recognizes the special position of Buddhism and the Mongolian constitution expressed in a law concerning religion and state entitled relationship between monastery and state gives preferential treatment to Buddhism. Also in these four republics, despite the preeminent position given to Buddhism by their constitutions and laws do not marginalize or seek to exclude followers of other faith. This gives us an interesting perspective that Bhutan is the only kingdom in South Asia but one of the three Buddhist kingdoms and one of the seven Buddhist countries in the world. It is pertinent to point out that the school of Buddhism followed in Bhutan and Mongolia are the Mahayana creed while Theravada school is more predominant in other countries. In Mongolia, more than 55% of the people follow the Kagyu and the Geluk school. So it is a Mahayana state. But as a kingdom, Bhutan is the only Mahayana kingdom. Another point on which I will end this session is the fact that Bhutan is the last Buddhist kingdom today in the Himalayan region. There were other polities earlier, Sikkim, Ladakh, Tibet itself decided being not a monarchy was a Buddhist polity. Then there was the kingdom of Dege. So Bhutan is the last Buddhist kingdom in the Himalayan region. What we have now at the end of this session is a perspective about how to position ourselves among the global community of nations and societies as a member of the United Nations as one of the monarchies or one of the monarchies among sovereign as well as non-sovereign monarchies, as the only kingdom in South Asia surrounded by republics where principles of heredity and political dynasties perpetuate in democratic politics, as one of the three Buddhist kingdoms and one of the seven Buddhist countries, and finally as the last Mahayana Buddhist kingdom. In the next episode, I will talk about the idea of modern monarchy. I have pointed out in prefacing this session that the Bhutanese monarchy is synonymous with the country's modernity. What does it mean to have a modern monarchy and how does the modern aspects of a monarchy express in the everyday life of the nation? Thank you. Well, this has been a very elaborate and educative perspective on the Bhutanese monarchy vis-à-vis other monarchies around the world. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. 
please look forward to our next episode where Dasha talks about the modernity of Bhutanese monarchy, which is as fascinating and captivating as it sounds. Until then, please take care. Now.